This is a crowd podcast. Here's Corey Haim, as you want to think about him. 15 years old, cool like he's twice as old, like he's done twice as much. Dark hair brushed back, blonde highlights on the tips, short on the sides, thick on top. These big eyes holding you. A grin, usually, lopsided, cheeky. One that says, this is fun, all of this. This is where I want to be. This is where you want to be. And you do, because this film is big. It starts as a cult and gradually takes us all in. The Lost Boys. A teen movie, but a vampire film, and not like they used to be. Lots of bleached hair, leather jackets, a soundtrack everyone loves. This great version of The Doors' People Are Strange, done by Echo and the Bunnymen. Vampires as desirable. Vampires are sexy and cool. Before Buffy, before Twilight, before Let the Right One In, all the Dracula remakes. Here's the plot, or the important bit. Corey has to save his big brother, who's turning into a blood-sucking killer. Kiefer Sutherland, among others, is out to get him. But Corey's got a mate to help him, another Corey. You'll know this one too, Corey Feldman star of the Goonies, of Stand By Me. Thin face, big black-rimmed glasses. He looks... dorky. And he looks angry a lot of the time. Like he's raging against the world. Like something's happened to him that you wouldn't want happening to you. In The Lost Boys, Feldman looks at home. He's the one who's helping Corey Haim, who understands what's going on, saving him, saving his family. A little older, a lot wiser. Camo t-shirt, strip of red cloth tied round his head like Rambo. People love the double act, the two Corys, that's what they call them. They love the menace and the swagger of the film, it's campness. It grosses $32 million off a budget of eight. That's a lot of profit for 1987. So that's Corey Haim, as he is then. And this is Corey Haim, a decade and a half on, when it all comes tumbling down. He looks old now, roughed up. The skin looser on his face, the hair dyed black. He's living in a small room above a garage. So's his mum. He's being interviewed, but not as a star. As the subject of an e-channel true Hollywood story blood-sucking in a different way. He doesn't make sense half the time. He mumbles. He looks confused. He's making a promo reel for casting agents, except it's like a bad joke. Clips from films you've never seen, that no one's seen. There's an interview with a bloke running a pawnbroker's shop. He's talking about the time Corey came in wanting three dollars so he could afford a slice of pizza. So he could eat. So this story's about lots of things. About how you fall from there to here. About adoration and exploitation. About friendship in a world that seems out to destroy you. And it's about the Lost Boys at the heart of it all. Not one Corey, but two. What happens when you want to run away from the past, but the past is the only thing anyone cares about? 
The title of that film? It comes from Peter Pan, J.M. Barry's story about Neverland and the kids who never grow up. Here's something Haim says when the two of them are together, older. Stuff happens when you're a kid. It scars you inside for life. That's the two Corys, from beginning to end. The real lost boys, with no one to save them. This time. It seems easy at the start with Corey Haim. He's a shy kid growing up in Toronto. His mum takes him to drama classes to give him confidence, and it works. He's on Canadian TV by the time he's 10, in his first feature film at 12. At 14, he's making a film called Lucas, alongside Winona Ryder and Charlie Sheen. He plays a misfit, lost in first loves and teenage angst. He's really good, a natural, that's what they say. Here's what one big-name critic writes. If he can continue to act this well, he will never become a half-forgotten child star, but will continue to grow into an important actor. He's that good. But there's weirdness everywhere you look, if you want to. That TV show? He goes to the parties after filming and sees his mum and dad dancing with different people. He finds an empty dressing room, hides and cries. The first film? The first day of shooting is in a scene with the main star, Peter Weller, the guy who'll be Robocop a few years later. They do a take. Corey says to Weller, hey, that was great. And Weller picks him up, throws him against a wall and says, don't you ever speak to me on set again. He apologizes later, says he was in character. Method acting, baby. But it takes three crew members to pull him off and Corey feels it and he doesn't forget. Weirdness when you're filming, weirdness when you're not. This is school when you're a child star in Hollywood. You get there at 8.30 a.m., you have an hour for lunch and you're done by 12.30. It's not about learning. It's definitely not about being like other kids. You've got four films to make a year. That's where you wanted. Weekends? Then it's time for the strangest nightclub in town. There's a kid called Alfie Hoffman, son of a casting director, lots of money, nothing to do. So every Saturday, Alfie holds these discos. You've got to be 16 or under. You've got to be famous or on the way. It's free soda, adults in corners, and TV crews and paparazzi. Alfie's Soda Pop Club. Makes sense as a name. And Corey Hain gets a call from Corey Feldman, and the two go down there together. Actors, kids of actors, kids who want to be actors. Like the Brat Pack before they can drive, before they can drink, officially. It's not your childhood, it's none of ours. The first party, there's a kid who's heir to a big soft drinks company. He jumps off the 11th floor of the Mondrian Hotel onto a huge inflatable mat, stands up, whoops, opens a bottle of his dad's soda, glugs it down. Other times they hang round the soda heir's mansion. His dad's got pet tigers, pet bobcats. There's one time Corey's in the family limousine and he's given a Jaguar on a lead to look after. Yep, an actual Jaguar. Jaguars aren't used to limos. We know that, 
But this is Hollywood, so this one starts roaring, baring its teeth. The vet who's meant to be in charge stabs it with a syringe full of tranquilizer. The Jaguar calms down and everyone just carries on with the party. You live like that, you think you'd have a grip on things. Corey's a heartthrob, those big eyes, that lopsided grin. He's getting 2,000 fan letters a week. There's girls outside his apartment, girls screaming when he steps out the door. It's fun, until quickly it isn't, until it becomes frightening. All that obsession, all that expectation, Running away, hiding out because you can't walk to the shops, needing to keep going because it's what your mum wants. Teenage kids aren't meant to be working long hours. They're not meant to be the family breadwinner, paying the bills, the rent. They're not meant to be surrounded by strange adults for hours every day. You want to know what it's like to be a child star? Here's what Corey Feldman goes through. He's taken to auditions from the age of three. His mum bleaches his hair when he's four. She puts him on diet pills when he's seven to get rid of his puppy fat, his natural shape. Here's what Corey Haim's doing. Drinking beer on the set of Lucas when he's 14. Smoking weed with the big kids on the set of The Lost Boys. There's no boundaries. Not for you. Not for the adults around you. The two Corys? Soon they're seeing who can smoke the most weed without passing out. They're having coke-offs, who can snort the longest line, who can stay up latest. He's in rehab for the first time, aged 17, Corey Haim. He does a film called Me, Myself and I. It's a day in his life and it's obvious he's on something. He sets up a drug advice hotline for teens and he's high when he records the message. Now the film parts are starting to change. Not the blockbuster stuff, but straight to video. Stuff that doesn't pay much and makes you feel worse. He does more cocaine because everyone's doing more cocaine. He moves on to crack, a bigger high, quicker, stronger. They still say he's sweet, the actors who work with him. Still say he can turn it on when he gets the chance. But he's becoming manipulative too. Knows how to charm people to get what he wants. That's how addiction works. That's how it changes you. There's a film he does called Blown Away. It's terrible, never makes the cinemas, never going to. But he starts dating his co-star, Nicole Eggert, and everything she sees is everything Corey's become. She talks about how hard it is, how he can't come out of his trailer because he's too wasted, how they're all just hanging around waiting for him. And then she says, it's always a good day with Corey. Sweet and manipulative charming and addicted. She talks about nights with him in hospital, in emergency rooms. Corey hooked up to drips, begging the doctors for fresh prescriptions, new pills. She says, he's a hopeless romantic and such a lover. He's such a loving guy. All in the same breath, all in the same day. We'll be back after this short break. 
Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Okay. We've got to talk about the two Corys again, the two friends, together but alone. There's a scene in The Lost Boys near the climax when the two of them are trying to defend themselves against the vampires. They barricade themselves in a house, grab some guns filled with holy water and a longbow with wooden stakes. Together against the enemy, the two of them back to back. And that's what it's like now, as it all falls apart around them. Feldman's been to the bottom. At one point, he sells his CD collection to buy crack. But he gets clean, and he wants his friend to get clean too. Instead, he sees Haim sinking lower, doing more drugs, losing more money, smashing up more hotel rooms, sleeping around. For three and a half years, Corey Haim barely leaves his apartment. His weight doubles to almost 20 stone. He stays in bed, watches old movies, eats. He pulls out of one film, gets sued by the insurers for not disclosing his addictions when they asked about his medical issues. He files for bankruptcy, owing $100,000 in tax, owing $100,000 more in debts. Here's how they list his assets in the report. Pension, $31,000. Royalty rights, $7,500. Clothes worth $750. A second-hand car. $100 in cash. That's it. And now, he's not only addicted, he's addicted to the stuff they've given him to get off the addictions. He goes to rehab, comes out, goes back in. His mum finds him unconscious at home, rushes him to A&E. Saved for now, but broken in other ways. He can't afford the medical bills. His solution? Trying to sell clumps of his hair and extracted teeth on eBay. He's up to $150 in bids on a tooth until that fails too. There's small print with eBay. You can't sell body parts. Now you know. So Feldman tries to save him again, tells him he can move into his house, takes him back to rehab, feeds him, tucks him up at night. They spend time with Michael Jackson on his Neverland ranch, those two lost boys. And if that's dark, the everyday stuff is worse. Feldman coming downstairs to find his friend ODing, trying to kill himself, foaming at the mouth, unable to speak, unable to breathe. He keeps charcoal in the house, Feldman does. 
so he can shove it down his friend's throat when the overdosing begins again, trying to draw out the poison, the pain. How does Corey look now? Older, roughed up, living in a small room above a garage, with his mum, not making sense half the time. He's bleached his dark hair, grown it into a mullet. He's wearing a black sleeveless t-shirt with a picture of two milk cartons on the front, two words above them, nice jugs. Okay, it's 2006. Haim and Feldman are in their early 30s now, and they've got a reality show. Its name? The Two Corys. The premise is simple. Haim, Feldman, Feldman's wife, all in Feldman's house. And it looks like the answer, at first. Corey buys the two of them matching Tiffany rings, what he calls matching actor buddy rings. Says these are for our show, for life, for everything. But you can't hide what's going on. You can see it in his eyes. Hear it in the way he speaks. The pupils like pinpricks, the slurred words, the lopsided grin falling from his face. And the strain starts to prise them apart. There's a six-month gap between the first series and the second. Corey tries to pretend he's okay. He does one interview, says, I want to be the guy they talk about when they talk about comebacks. He takes out a paid advert in Variety, a full-page photo, big words. This is not a stunt. I'm back. I'm ready to work. I'm ready to make amends. That's one headline he creates. There's another when he's caught asking high school pupils where he can buy crack. I'm a chronic relapser. That's how he describes himself when he's being honest. I guess I always will be. There's something else he says when the second season of the TV show begins, all of it on camera, all of it breaking your heart. He says, I was sexually abused. I was 14 years old and a man in his 40s abused me for two years. Here's the exact words he uses. I was very, very awake and very ashamed of what was going on. I was just coming into Hollywood, man, just a horny little kid getting fed drugs by vampires. And it drives the two Corys apart. Haim says Feldman knew about it. Feldman says Haim isn't safe to have around his wife, their young child. Feldman wants Haim to ask for help, to get clean, says, I can't watch him destroy himself. Haim just relapses like he always will. The reality show gets cancelled, and so it's Corey and his mum, no money, no plans, living in a run-down apartment block where you rent by the month. His mum has cancer. She's going through radiation therapy. Her hair is gone. She's hanging on. Corey has the flu. He feels hot, like he's struggling to breathe. His mum sends him to bed, tells him to sleep on his side. She's asleep when he comes back in, stumbling round the room. She's awake as he falls to his knees, as he collapses to the floor. Corey Feldman finds out at dawn the next day 
His sister hammering on his door, screaming about an emergency. He thinks it's his son, first of all, and then she says, no, 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 he's fine. It's Corey Haim. He's... He's gone. The LA police call it an accidental overdose when they investigate, when they find bottles of pills all over that cheap apartment, the Valium, the Vicodin, stuff for the head, the body. But they keep finding pills and they follow the trails. They discover that in the last month before his death, Corey Haim has sourced more than 500 of them. Fake names, tame doctors, made up medical notes, fake prescription pads, emergency rooms and street dealers. Thousands of pills in the last year. For pain, for the pills that treat the pain. And maybe that should be the end of this dark tale, of this kid thrown into the system, left unprotected. Another addict in the opioid epidemic sweeping America. There's an obituary in Vanity Fair. It says, it's a pity it took an obituary to remind us of Corey Haim, a man running from the past when the past is all anyone cares about. But there's something else. One more cry from the Lost Boys. One more horror in a life you'd never want to live. Corey Feldman makes a documentary. It comes out in 2020, 10 years after the death of Corey Haim. It's called My Truth, The Rape of Two Corys. It's about their friendship and it's about what happens to them. Feldman comes out with it. He says, we were sexually abused, both of us. He names four men. Convicted sex offender Marty Weiss, a former child talent manager. John Grissom, a convicted paedophile and former actor. Alfie Hoffman, the guy who ran Alfie's soda pop club. And there's one other. Someone you know. Someone you couldn't forget. Charlie Sheen. Feldman cries when he recounts it. When he remembers how Corey Haim describes what happened to him. The detail. The fact that no one does anything. When he remembers how old his friend was. 13 years old. Charlie Sheen denies it. He says, In my nearly 35 years as a celebrated entertainer, I've been nothing shy of a forthright, noble and valiant courier of the truth. These radically groundless and unfounded allegations end now. So you think about that. And you think about the other child stars of the 80s, the early 90s. You think about Drew Barrymore, a star in E.T. when she's six years old. At seven, she's having Baileys on her ice cream. At 11, she's in Studio 54, drinking. At 12, she's a drug addict. At 13, she cuts her own wrists. You think about River Phoenix, the other big star alongside Feldman in Stand By Me, dead at 23 after injecting a mix of cocaine and heroin. And you think about the two lost boys, the two Corys, together but alone, trying to save each other, always trying. 
You think about all these things Corey Haim has been. A shy kid. A heartthrob. Manipulator. Junkie. A dear friend. A son. A half-forgotten child star when everyone should know him. There's something Feldman says the night Corey Haim dies. He's on the Larry King show on CNN trying to pay tribute. Trying to make sense of something that makes no sense. He says, in Hollywood, we put people on pedestals. And then when we decide they're not marketable anymore, we walk away from them. And then we taunt them. And we tease them. It's okay for society to laugh at us as human beings. Why is it okay to kick somebody when they're down? The real Lost Boys. The two Corys. With no one to save them. This time. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Charlie Frost. For research, we watched Lucas and the Lost Boys, Red Variety, Vanity Fair and Vice magazine. Used the archives of CNN and the LA Times and watched a heap of old interviews. The music we used is from our partners BMG Production Music. If this is your first episode, go back and listen to the one on Chadwick Boseman, another Hollywood star we lost too soon. And if you'd like another podcast to listen to, search for Death of a Rockstar and start with the episodes on Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse and Prince. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Hey Hey there. there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.